Hello and welcome to the Weekend Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Good, Michael. Uh, thankfully, the uh, searing heat has gone away for a little bit under a blanket of cloud, so it's quite a mild day today. I know, it's lovely. This is mm. this is exactly what I've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. uh, and Luke, I'm sure this is also to your pleasing. How are you? Yes, the the, uh, the weather is, is a nice welcome break from the... Uh... The double scorching weathers. Now I, I, I say double because number one, it's the uh, the heat of the sun. Number two, it's the heat of my workplace and you know, work in a kitchen, which does it, it's not very pleasant to put it mildly. I'd rather not think about lunch. it on my day off. Yeah, at least you got a free lunch. Yeah, that's the only benefit. But anyway, we'll we'll dive straight into the the stories of today. And the first one, uh, no prizes for guessing, is vaccine passports. Luke, you're going to lead on this one. Yes, um, well, um, I know this has been, uh, I think, done, done to death by Bournemouth in recently, very recently, and rightfully so. And uh, I listened to your, um, your, uh, what's it called, the What's Going On series um, that you two did uh, earlier this week. And uh, again, not, nothing to uh, really disagree with, but uh, I think what we really need to point out is that we saw the writing on the wall many months ago. Now, um, recently, I, I wrote um, two pieces. One uh, for our Christmas issue, um, no to mandatory vaccination, and uh, one a couple of months later on mandatory vaccination already being here. So we, we've certainly um, been ahead of the curve. Now, uh, the, the first prediction that I made was that Operation Terror, sort of the, the government and the media's fear operation to enforce compliance, would go into overdrive when mandatory vaccination would um, legislation would be on the books. Now. Uh, as can be seen, um, th th this has happened. I mean, it's also coincided with the so-called Freedom Day 2.0, where um, Sage and all the other experts have collectively lost their minds more than normal and uh, have been very fearful of a rise in cases, which isn't even corresponding to um, a, sharp, a sharp increase in deaths. And um, this, I think the second prediction was that... Uh, mandatory vaccination would be enforced by a social credit score punishments. Now, um, people that haven't been doubly jabbed will essentially be forced out of normal life it, come September. Now, uh, for, for an opinion of, of the, uh, the vaccinated, I, mean, I, ha I have been doubly jabbed, but um, through reasons that are personal to me and my family situation, not through government diktats. But uh, I, ha I have to say, I I'm in complete agreement with you two. I'm not living in a world of your papers, please. Yeah. And uh, of course, the, the third prediction is that there would be private enforcement of this. Uh, we were talking recently, um, before we started recording, that the university and college union is, is demanding that students are fully vaccinated by September, a, a an, an age group which is, not, is the least affected by COVID, as well as a demographic which doesn't really come into contact with elderly people. And um, I mean, we've already seen that the private corporate enforcement of mask mandates. I, I have to wear one at work. I think Waterstones is making you wear one. And um, what I've also found interesting is the effects it's having on vaccine uptake. Now, young people, as, as media report, are flocking to get jabs, but uh, mainly because they're people who wouldn't necessarily be bothered whether they take it or not. It's just now that they're going to be locked out of the bread and circuses they've um, decided to take up the opportunity, but I know such people such as yourselves um, would and should dig their heels in because 
and this is not okay. This is not the nation even we grew up in. Six months is a very long time in politics, they say, and it was just six months ago that uh, Nadim Zahawi, the vaccine minister, a uh, bizarre position, um, came out and said categorically that there would be no vaccine passports, that this is not how we do things here. Well, six months later, he comes out and says that not only for nightclubs and pubs, but also for uh, churches, that it would be required that you are double jabbed. They haven't put any sort of sunset clause. So as far as we're concerned, this is now indefinite, this requirement. Yeah, well, six months is uh, is not a particularly long time in politics and even shorter is four days. Just four days before Nahim Zahawi announced that vaccine passports would be introduced, he said that they would be discriminatory on Twitter. Someone asked him, um, why is it not discriminatory to have vaccine passports? And his response was they would be if they didn't include the stipulation that you, you may also be tested before going to events. And of course, the new uh, vaccine passports that have been announced don't include that stipulation. So by his own words, what he and the government is introducing is discriminatory. Um, and I think one of, the in, one of the interesting things here is that we may actually finally see one of the first government measures defeated in Parliament if, if Labour sticks to its guns, because there's around 42 Conservative MPs who have signed a Big Brother Watch uh, declaration of opposing vaccine passports. All the Lib Dem MPs are opposing it. And Labour, it seems, might be against just on the basis that they also believe testing should be involved in the passport system. Now, I, I must say, it, it seems to me... Um, that the government might have done this slightly intentionally, that they've gone all in really far, only vaccines count, so that when it rolled back slightly, that they heal down and say, fine, we'll also include testing, they're viewed as being really great and compassionate as a result. Whereas when you think about it, vaccine passports, which also includes testing, is itself very discriminatory, very uh, unconservative, illiberal, um, anti-anything that this country and the party in particular claims to be against. Um, so I think there's a bit of politics at play there. Um, and also, though, it's questionable whether or not Labour will actually continue with its opposition when when cases um, increase, if they do, and when a new variant is found that they inevitably, uh, as it inevitably will be. Um, and just on your point, Luke, on cases, you said that they'd be introduced as cases increased. People are going on about the increase in cases at the minute, but actually this week we've seen another decrease in cases by 10,000 on the week before. Cases, by the way, being positive tests, which is a bit of politics in play by itself. So there's no justification for these things to be introduced, where now the latest ONS data suggests that um, well over 90% of Brits would test positive for antibodies against COVID. So we're safe anyway. What's the point of this? So many people are fully vaccinated, including the most vulnerable. We should be getting on, sticking to the, the Freedom Day rhetoric. I think that's it would have been important if it were actually carried out and dismiss this as being the discriminatory nonsense mm -hmm. it is. There's a big problem with Labour's opposition to this um, vote in Parliament, which they, they said, fortunately, that they would... Um vote against but their reasoning was that it was you know too narrow a net it was just vaccination as opposed to the core of it which is that the vaccine passport is just a obscene and ghastly and just grotesque proposition in the first place yeah absolutely well you know Keir Starmer said a few months ago in an interview I think with the times that it seemed to him to be un-British 
But when the Times stuck that as its headline, Keir Starmer says vaccine passports on British, he apparently was furious. And the report in The Guardian said that he, he was calling up the editors and trying to get this removed because it was not the message that he was trying to convey. But why not? Why shouldn't the party, um, which claims to represent working classes and, and British values, if, if, if that is still what it claims to do, be so furious about that message being put out when it's so blatantly true? I mean, political rhetoric throughout this pandemic has been a bunch of roundabouts and new terms. I mean, we, we, saw, we saw this with the lockdowns, not just with the vaccines, that this will be the last lockdown. Oh, no, it isn't. And now, of, of, of course, we, we've seen it with, with vaccine passports. And there was a sort of, when vaccines were introduced, there was a flattering that they may be mandatory. And the, the government sort of pulled on Israel and said, no, we're not doing this. And now they've harped on about this. And now I know we've talked about before that this is a deceptive tactic to sort of weaken people's resolve but um yeah well again i say it was always going to be the case when the government had the power to lock us in our homes for however long it get it simultaneously acquired th this power as well and, and Nadim Tari said in parliament we have the power to mandate this forever that's right now one of the questions is sort of the scope of the policy. The government says it reserves the right to introduce vaccine passports, but where exactly? Now, at first it was just nightclubs, um, and then it was sort of nightclubs and large venues. And we've seen mention of, of pubs, because I remember uh, one minister being on, uh, on Sky News, and the presenter quite rightly said to them, well, actually some pubs are larger than some nightclubs and are more compact and more lively. So why, by your own logic, wouldn't you introduce these? Not that we want them to do this, but it's still a valid point to make. Um, and so we've now seen that uh, football stadiums are likely to have forced vaccine passports, along with most other sports venues, I imagine. And disappointingly, the Premier League has been really in favour of this, not only for spectators to be vaccinated, but also all staff and all players to be vaccinated. Now, amusingly, only two in 20 of the Premier League clubs have actually reached the target of having all of its staff and players vaccinated at this stage. And I think some of the people who actually have been the most vocal against vaccination are some sports players. Remember, there were some the rugby players who were against this and some footballers as well. So it'd be interesting to see just what happens uh, when these people hopefully stick to their guns and say, actually, no, I'm not getting vaccinated. How far are they going to push this? Are they going to kick them out of the clubs, um, prevent them from playing for a season? Who knows? And also, as you said, Luke, the other thing is not only the scope of what venues have them, but also how long is this a thing? For how long can unvaccinated people not go to nightclubs? Because already it's been, what, 17 months, I think, of this whole COVID madness. And you'd think that after that amount of time, it would be enough when so many people have antigens, when herd immunity has been reached because of that, when so many people as well are fully vaccinated, yet still they're talking about it. So I don't even think that the end of this year will be the end point for this. I think it will go into next year, uh, well into next year, I think. And it's not impossible that when a new variant springs up next year, as it will, uh, that next week, <laughs> well, of course, but I, I mean the 200th new variant, of course, by next year, that by that point, they'll justify it carrying on until that winter and we'll have the other winter chaos with the NHS, so-called, um, which we have every year and have done for decades mm. and possibly into the year after that, or maybe with the flu by that point or the next virus, because it no longer seems to be just about COVID. It's it's a much wider story that's going on with these vaccine passports and with you know other stories such as the pandemic which we'll go into next
Mm. Governments which acquire emergency powers very rarely like to give them up. Mm. Mm. As long as the government has emergency powers, it, it will still wish for there to be a public health emergency. Well, also, you know, it's the it's just the equality of the, the the legally mandated divulging of private medical information. It's it's yeah. it's, just, it's just it's just morally bankrupt in every way you look at it. Um, luckily, there's been some pushback from artists and influencers. I've seen uh, Eric Clapton saying he wouldn't play a gig um, at a venue that required vaccine passports. I've seen uh, the guys from Trigonometry saying that they would cancel their upcoming live shows if they were forced to medically segregate the audience. Um, it rings true of a story from uh, the 60s where the Beatles were playing in America and they refused to play a show because the venue required the racial segregation of the audience. Um, right. it, it was it was them taking a stand that enabled the venue to then, you know, um, desegregate the audiences. And uh, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's also been like, you know, the usual lot like Morrissey and Ian Brown saying that, that they wouldn't play gigs for the audience. So we'll, we'll see. But um, I mean, Unless there's just a mass just disobedience from the people who are bringing the money into these venues, I can't see much change. Yeah, and as I said, the, the difficulty is is that this is very likely to go down to testing. So testing to be included in the vaccine passports, which fine allows us to go about lives, but we'll have to carry on testing well into next year, as I say, weekly if you want to go into places, perhaps more often than that. Um, and who knows, they might even increase the, the prices of these tests as they did in France. <laughs> the tests required to get into venues had been free the whole throughout the whole pandemic. And then as soon as they introduced vaccine passports with testing as a stipulation, they removed the free price and, and, and hike up the costs so as to basically make it even more difficult for people to go about their lives without just getting vaccinated. Look, they, they want you vaccinated. It doesn't matter what risk you pose to yourself or to other people. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that, that, that uh, the three of us, well, uh, I say you and me, Michael, because Luke's, Luke's been vaccinated, but um, it doesn't matter that, that the two of us have virtually no risk of dying and anyone we could pass it on to is either already jabbed or has an equally low risk of dying. Or has chosen not to be. Or has chosen not to, yeah. They don't care about that. They want us, They want everyone vaccinated and they'll use any underhanded tactic possible to, to ensure that. Yeah, it really is ramping up at the moment. And it's, it's worth highlighting, actually, a new government ad campaign that's been launched, which is going to feature in newspapers, on the television, on sort of signs throughout towns, anywhere that you can see, um, which is uh, the tagline for this one is keep life moving. And it tells people to carry on wearing masks, even if you're vaccinated, so as to protect others. It has pictures of people on buses, in cafes, whatever, wearing face masks still. Keeping life moving is the phrase. And, and what it tells people to do as part of its text is to quote, well, the, the quote is second nature. They want people to carry on with the behaviours that have become, quote, second nature to them during the pandemic. Which the reason I find this interesting is because it's taken exactly out of the rule book, almost verbatim of Suzanne Michie, who is the sage member and renowned communist, who said that um, we should carry on wearing face masks forever and involve these things as part of our normal routines, just like we put on seatbelts, it should be the same. So the government has, has agreed with what Suzanne Michie has said here, despite her background and despite the lunacy of the view itself, and is saying, yeah, carry on with the things that have become second nature, carry on wearing masks. And if it's saying that, when again does it want it to end? If it wants us to continue these things that are now second nature, that isn't, that's not saying carry on until the end of the pandemic and then uh, we'll, we'll go back to normality. That's sort of saying, 
yet this is now what we do forever. Um, what we pass on to our children, what we teach as being acceptable. In fact, the only acceptable standard not to do it is viewed as being socially unacceptable, um, which is really quite worrying. And I think is part of what has been termed so many times, uh, including by uh, James Black, um, as probably as early as last September, I think that's how early we're talking about this, the new normal. Michael, this is this is your channel, Bornbrook's your outlet, it's your neck on the line. May I swear? Well, if you must. These people can fuck off. <laughs> well, that's, true. that's it. That's it. Let's move along. At least we had a trigger warning there. That's fine. Um, this, is, this, think, is, this is a Christian Bornbrook server. <laughs> for most. I think we'll, we'll move on from there. Um, and go on to the second story then, which is, we've mentioned it already very briefly, uh, the so-called pingdemic, which is the idea that, you know, Freedom Day has passed, all restrictions apparently have been dropped. July 19th was the terminus date, Boris Johnson said, for restrictions. They won't return. We're all free to live our lives as normal. Except if someone who happens to be in the same building as you at a certain time, who happens to be in the same restaurant, who is in the same classroom, yet on the other side of the room and with whom you have no actual contact, tests positive for COVID, in which case you must lock yourself down along with your family for 10 days and not go on with your normal life, uh, impose a load of restrictions on yourself um, and live just like we all were a few months ago. Now, the numbers on this are quite interesting. So I'm, I'm amazed that anybody still has the NHS COVID app after what's been going on over the last few weeks. I mean, it's, it's inviting yourself to be cut off work. Maybe that's why people have the app. Or, of course, to be cut off from social lives, because if you have this thing and, as I say, you're in the same restaurant or, according to some reports, just in your house and, <laughs> and your neighbour tests positive through the wall, it, it pings your phone, whatever, and tells you to isolate. Last week was a new record. 620,000 or thereabout were told to isolate by this app alone. And, of course, people are also contacted directly by the NHS Test and Trace. Um, and I think the school system is actually separate so that um, at one point we saw about one and a half million people isolating, even though very few of these actually had COVID. And of course, even if they did have COVID, if they'd been fully vaccinated or if they were younger or if they had antibodies, they'd be safe anyway. But that's beyond the point. A new study was released today by Oxford University and found that out of the students who have been forced to isolate in recent months uh, from, from, from schools, only 1.6% of them who were isolating actually went on to get COVID. 98.4% never got COVID, so weren't ill at all. Um, yet this is what we're locking down so much of the economy for. And to an extent, it's quite funny to see it. It's, it we talked before this um, about Bob Moran's cartoon when we went into tiered lockdowns. And it's a cartoon of the map of the country with a lock in every area. And Boris Johnson saying, we're going to carry on locking down locally so we don't have to impose a national lockdown. And of course, the joke was that everywhere was locked down anyway. And we've, we see the same thing here. You could equally have a map with little pings going across across the whole country and Boris saying we'll ping as many people so that we don't need to lock down again but actually if you're locking down about a million and a half people a week I'd call that a form of lockdown anyway and yet people um, sort of accept this carrying on people carry on downloading the app businesses are continually told by the government that if their staff are pinged they must isolate that they shouldn't encourage them not to do so 
and we see food shortages as a result. We see restaurants and, and, and cafes and hotels, which really need the income again, being closed. Who knows for how long? Maybe for the last time. And again, as with vaccine passports, it seems like with this that there's no end. So when will it end? That is a question I ask myself every day. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it is essentially just lockdown under a different name, right? Instead of it being divulged to regions or individuals who, for any reason, um, most of them not to do with contracting COVID, are now forced to isolate. It, it, it's just baffling. And you're right. I mean, why at this point would anyone have the app? You don't even need the app. I, I have, I, at no point have I had the app and I've just got away with it. I should say on that point that actually for, for fully vaccinated Britons, you won't be legally required to isolate from August 16th if you're pinged. But there's a, there's a good story, in, well, a good, an interesting story in Sky News today about Devon. Now, bear in mind that you know, lots of holiday areas have been absolutely battered over the last year with no business. And now with the weather that we talked about at the beginning, Brits are flocking to holiday resorts, or at least are trying to, uh, to finally soak up some sun, go to cafes and restaurants, have a bit of fun and, you know, put the foot on the brake for a bit. But in, in Devon, for example, lots of businesses and again, restaurants, cafes, hotels, theatres are having to shut because so many of their staff um, have been pinged. Um, a lot of them might not even have the virus but they've been pinged and so they must go uh, and stay at home and a lot of businesses there are saying that august 16th is way too late if it stays on until that point we'll have to shut down permanently we won't be able to get back from it places are putting adverts up on facebook saying please anybody come and help and work here for a week because we've got no staff and and one venue in 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 devon as i say had four people turn up as a result and that tidied them by but what a silly state of affairs in britain today that companies are forced to put out announcements to try and uh, get in sudden work because some people are locking in at home completely safe completely healthy for no reason businesses nowadays are sort of and everyone else sort of fighting a hydra at the minute one head is of course all the pings another head is the threat of national lockdowns another head is one of your staff getting covid whether that be a false positive or not it is irrelevant again there's just so many obstacles to get through and no wonder many have fallen under and may i add one one more head given what we've just talked about with the keep life keep life moving advertising campaign is the continuation of public fear and the mm. government is, is not interested in this lowering. It's keeping up the pressure. It's carrying on telling people that even if they're fully vaccinated, they're not safe if they don't wear face masks. They should really stay clear if they can from crowded events. So that, that's the other obstacle to this. A lot of people probably don't want to be going into to crowded places, to restaurants, to, to nightclubs and enjoying themselves because they're too fearful of it. And I understand that given you know what's been said over the past year through the media, from celebrities, everything you watch or hear, that message is driven across. And it's, it's something that's going to be very difficult to try and pull out. Hmm. In a way, just as, as a side point, this is, um, it's kind of puts to bed the whole rhetoric that the Tories want to destroy the uh, National Health Service, considering that they've destroyed quite literally everything else in the country to protect it. And they've also destroyed the NHS at the same time because... <laughs> The, the, the backlog, that, that backlog of cancer yeah. patients and, and just you know, uh, routine operations as well is so mind-bogglingly high. 
So yeah, they've, they've destroyed everything to save the NHS, including the NHS. <laughs> Christ, had, had Boris Johnson point. also destroyed his own promise of um, if ID cars were to be introduced to rip it up and spread it on his cornflakes. Well, mm. Mm. Yeah. all people change, I assume. Mm. That's true. Well, that, of course, in another world would be embarrassing for the government. But if it were, then we'd have to be very careful about how we put it across because changes... Um, to the official secrets acts now mean that if the government is overly embarrassed by a story that breaks that a journalist leaks out that's been leaked to a journalist they could face prison time so sam what's been going on here yes that was a very good segue michael um well under plans to reform the official secrets act as you said uh journalists could now be sentenced to up to 14 years in prison um this is to uh this is in response to the uh, matt hancock leak um, the, the, there's been a culture of leaking in Western politics for quite some time now, and it's it's how some of the biggest stories of our time have emerged. You know, if it wasn't for leaking, we wouldn't have found out about the P, the MP uh, expenses scandal. We wouldn't have found out, you know, everything with WikiLeaks um, uncovering American war crimes in the, in the Middle East. Yeah. It while leaking itself is a is a practice that uh, let's just say bends the rules. It is a vital part of holding the our overlords to account because they are obviously they aren't going to willingly divulge information that will damage them. The role of the press, which has been slowly perverted over the last several years into one of propagandists, not um, not journalists, is almost complete now to the point where journalists who step out of line and embarrass the government that they're meant to be serving could now you know face over a decade in prison. This is. This is an utterly, like, this is lunacy. Um, and it, it, it's, it's yeah, it, it's, look, we've, we've spoken for a while about the um, the connection between the, the, the media and the, and the government in this last year or so. We, we know that the the government is the largest solicitor of um, ad space in, in print media. Um, this is just bringing the two, closer and closer together when it, ideally there should be a separation of politics and media because the, the role of the media at least traditionally is to hold those in power to account and they can't do that now because if they make any attempt to they could see themselves getting locked up for a long time yeah so it, it is a case of even in the most liberal and free of democracies government is never going to be naturally transparent it is forced to be transparent that's why we have prime minister's question times the opposition has to force answers from um, the whitehall whitehall is never going to give it willingly and uh, because this is just another another attempt to just bring down the free press i mean are, are we living in blair's 10th term in office or something because <laughs> Seems like there's been an ongoing theme now with Western democracies to just subdue a free press. We've also seen it in the US as well, where um, the White House press secretary talks to Facebook like they're another government entity. Hmm. It's just trying to monopolize information in a digital world. That's, that's the reason why there are so many leaks, because many things are digitalized. Information can spread so quickly. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the... the... The average journalist that we've seen lately is is far too loyal to this, to this regime to really hold it to account, and it, it it essentially it's not targeting most journalists. It's targeting the rogue journalists, the ones who go off 
off script ones who really try and you know expose the darkness with light and and with with, with that being snuffed out i i can't imagine where we're going to go now considering that, that the only thing that journalists are allowed to report now is information that's been divulged by the government yes so so, so they, they they can they can cover their tracks they can bury their scandals so easily now mm. Well, there's been a warm-up act over the past year for that, and, and arguably even longer. Um, the BBC, a prime example, where every day the, the media has been doing the government's job by releasing all the figures unquestionably. So they, they talk about cases, when in fact what they should be saying is the number of reported positive tests. They talk about deaths, whereas again, what they should be saying quite clearly, rather than in small text, is uh, the number of people reportedly dying uh, from the virus after 30 days of, of having a positive test again. So it's, it's, it's never as easy as it seems, but you know, the media is sort of rewarded for, for putting it out in these small ways. And I think with the change that could happen here that Priti Patel is, has outlined, we could again see lazy journalists rewarded um, by not being put in jail. And journalists who uncover something that's embarrassing about the government, which let's be honest, could be done every day of the week, um, being thrown in the cell as a result of it so it's it's something where i mean obviously the press has got to be very careful uh, with stories making sure that there's something genuine behind it that it's backed up by fact that it's not some spurious thing that someone has pushed out simply in order to disgrace the government that's something that the editors should be wary of however to suggest that you know the media officials should be punished for being careful, for doing their job, yet still finding actually, yes, this is rather embarrassing for the government and putting that out is a disgrace. Mm -hmm. the, the rhetoric behind all this or would be behind all this is the usual either misinformation, uh, as in sticking this under libel laws, or uh, through being a danger to public safety. Such as, say, if you say that masks do not work, you can... Um, this might be embarrassing. This would this can be classed as embarrassing to the government because this was the mask mandate was once government policy. Mm, mm. Uh, well, I think what embarrassing happened... again can easily read as challenged or criticised. I mean, we, we've seen the definitions of this word be broad to such a degree that uh, abuse of, of MPs can now just mean personal criticism. Mm. I think what happened to Hancock be could be described under the same circumstances as as being dangerous if if the story is put out because arguably. Um, I think actually there could be some truth behind this. Uh, the releasing of this story lessened people's trust, not only in the health authorities, but the government largely, the health secretary himself and as an office. And so made people uh, arguably, again, less willing to um, to comply with COVID rules. And I think the same thing was suggested uh, at the time of uh, Dominic Cummings' uh, breaking of the lockdown rules, that what he's done is made people not comply with the rules now um that's a case where you could arguably put forward you know uh, a statement of the publishing of these embarrassing stories being a danger for the british public i'm not saying i agree with that but that's certainly the argument that could be put across by the government so yeah the the opportunities here are endless um although the opportunities they are meant to be yeah exactly but the opportunities for journalists to sort of protect themselves are uh, very much the opposite very mm. limited as I said, we're we're moving into a time where the only the only thing that, that holds the media straight is what the government tells it. Mm. You know, again, this this rule isn't isn't in place to target the good journalists, air quotes, good journalists who toe the line, who don't 
embarrass the government, which is, you know, the idea that, that a journalist shouldn't embarrass the government is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I think a, a decent journalist should hold the government in a healthy degree of contempt and try and, you know, catch them out for their misdeeds whenever they whenever they occur. But now, because of this act, the government can just hide behind a wall of secrets with the threat of jail time to keep rogue journalists in line. And it, I just, it, it, it does nothing more than just than lessen my trust in these people to a degree that I didn't think it, it could sink to. Mm. Well, I think before we we put our feet in it and get ourselves thrown in jail, we should we should call it a day on this uh, week in review. I've enjoyed this one. It's three three rather somber topics, but I think we've we've outlined them as as best we could. And uh, hope you've enjoyed it. And we look forward to joining you again next week. Cheers.